0: Good morning on October 1st. Hey, I am so excited because today we kick off a new series for the month of October. Welcome home. Welcome to those who are joining us online as well. I know uh, every year when I was in high school around October, we had homecoming. And uh, we welcomed all the people who had graduated. And we have designated this month sort of like a homecoming welcome home and we we just I'm very excited about the topics we are going to be discussing our our main verse throughout the whole month is all based upon this Psalms 92 where the psalmist says this the righteous Now, who are the righteous? Who are the righteous? Those who have a right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who atoned for our sin. Because Jesus Christ atoned for our sin, we can have a right relationship with our Creator. The righteous will flourish. And I'll get back to that in a moment. But how are the righteous flourishing? Like a palm tree. Now, what is significant about a palm tree? Well, the spiritual significance of a palm tree is a palm tree is that of a winning strength. It represents winning strength because it's very resistant. So we are flourishing like a palm tree. We're resistant. We have this winning strength through the trials of life. A a palm tree also represents fertility, fruit. We are to be reproducing ourselves in others. We are to be making disciples. We are to be fruitful. But a palm tree also represents one other thing. Peace and tranquility. That's why we have a lot of people around the wintertime. They go down to Florida, sit underneath the palm tree. Peace and tranquility Why we're in the midst of a blizzard up here. The righteous, you and I, will flourish with this winning strength that's resilient through the storms of life bearing fruit with a peace and tranquility. They will grow like the cedars of Lebanon. What are the cedars of Lebanon? The cedars of Lebanon are very durable. and in, in fact, it was that, that wood that was brought in for the building of the temple. But there's something else about cedar. It has a distinct and pleasant aroma. One that doesn't detract or repel but one that attracts and as the righteous flourish we should not be repelling but we should be attracting others the righteous will flourish like a palm tree they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon now here is the key planted Planted in the house of the Lord. There are some people who just attend the house of the Lord. Come on. And there are others who plant themselves in the house of the Lord. Now I know there are some who say, Pastor, I don't feel like I'm flourishing. In fact, I'm languishing. I don't seem to be making progress. I don't see much success. Instead of flourishing, some are floundering, wrestling with their faith, struggling with their beliefs and Christian values. Well, for those... Of you who feel like that, I have two words for you. Welcome home, man. Welcome home. You, you're not here by happenstance. If you're visiting, you're not here by happenstance. God has you here for a divine purpose and a reason today. Over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the house Of the Lord. Today, a house of prayer. Next week, a house of outreach. The following week, a house of miracles. Come on, how many need a miracle in your life? A house of miracles. And then we're going to be taking a look at a house of dreams. The Bible says without vision, people perish. And then a house of redemption. And all of this whole series was designed to lead up to our spiritual emphasis week in the first week of November when Greg and Robin Hubbard will be with us. And I'm so excited to, to have them back with us. In, in, in fact, uh, we, we just got done talking about With Room Living life with room, I trust that you will get your electronic devices, your calendars, your whatever, wherever you keep your appointments, and put down November Friday the 3rd to be in the house of the Lord with Greg and Robin Hubbard. And then on Saturday, November 4th, the ladies are having a banquet with Robin. And then on the 5th, Sunday morning and Sunday night, man, Get to the house of the Lord and let's see what God's got for us through that spiritual emphasis week. Well, the the setting, the context today of a house of prayer, it's the last week of Jesus here on earth. The week before his crucifixion. Remember on that Sunday he rode into Jerusalem with cheers and people shouting hosanna to the son of david save us save us waving the palm branches representing winning strength victory it says in mark 11:11 11, 11, he entered jerusalem in all that fanfare and went to the temple And he looked around. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. When it says that he looked around, in the Greek it says he examined everything closely. He didn't just look around, he examined Everything closely. Sort of like Nehemiah when he came back to to look at the walls of Jerusalem that laid in ruins. He examined it carefully. But because it was late, he decided, hey, now's not the time. And if you know the rest of the story, we could say it was a day of grace. How many are thankful for days of grace? But how many? know judgment is coming. And he went out to Bethany with the twelve because it was not, it was not safe for him to stay in Jerusalem. And it was, Bethany was only less than two miles away. And went to the home of Mary, Martha, and and Lazarus. But it says he went to the temple. I'm reminded that well, many say there are three different temples that God's people shared in. Actually, it's two, and I'll I'll get to that in a minute. But remember they had a tabernacle that was movable, that housed the presence of God? And Solomon, David's son, built a temple. And when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into that place, We read in scripture how the the temple was filled with a cloud. We call it the Shekinah glory. The presence of God filled that temple. And the priests couldn't perform their duties. In awe. How many long for the glory of God to fill this house. Where we're just in awe. And that temple, well, it lasted for about 410 years. It was a place where God's people could meet God. It was a holy place. It was a focal point of their worship. But 410 years later, King Nebuchadnezzar comes and and takes the Jewish people into exile and destroys that temple. And for 70 years, The Jewish people were in exile. Well, then we have the first exiles come back, Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel brings the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem with the thoughts to rebuild that temple. You can read about it in the book of Ezra. And they started to lay the foundation. Two years it took to lay the foundation. And some people rejoiced and shouted. But it says older priests and olders who remember the glory days of Solomon's Temple, they cried. Because they re- were reminded of the destruction of that beautiful place that God dwelt. Which reminds us in worship. Man, worship is diverse. There could be people shouting and, and rejoicing. And there could be people weeping and crying. And then because of opposition, there was no construction for 17 years. And God spoke through the prophet Haggai and Ezra comes down with a second group of people. And they start to build the temple that was referred to as Zerubbabel's temple. But it wasn't like anything the splendor of Solomon's temple. And after 450 years, how many know after 450 years, things need improvement? It needs to be refurbished. And this temple was not destroyed, but Herod, who considered himself with some Jewish blood, wanted to please the Jewish people, and he refurbished redid let me just say this the refurbishing took 46 years so it was more than just a little cleanup it was just more than a little cosmetic i mean he he went overboard with just to show his haughtiness and it became this glorious splendor of a place for God's presence to dwell. Remember, Jesus made a prediction. You see that beautiful structure? I tell you, there's coming a day when stone is not going to stand upon stone. In AD 70, it was completely destroyed. Now, it's this temple, Herod's temple, that Jesus entered and looked around. Before going out to Bethany. The next day. Let's drop down to verse 15 of Mark 11. The very next day. Jesus is on a mission. His mission is to the temple. On reaching Jerusalem. Jesus entered the temple area. Now, the temple area, I, I just I, I need to show you a model of the temple to show you the temple area. The temple area is where those arrows are pointed. It was the court of the Gentiles. The temple area or the courts of the Gentiles. It's it's where the Gentiles could come and worship. Now, lengthwise uh, width-wise, you have to think two and a half times the width of this of the length of this building. This building is a hundred. So you have to think two and a half times, 250 by seven and a half times, by 750. In in fact, they say you could fit 75,000 people in that temple area, that temple courts. So that's the area where the Gentiles were able and allowed to come to, to, to worship. And it was a very special area, marble flooring, walls. And Jesus just kind of like looked around the temple area, the courts of the Gentiles. And began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Through that temple area. And as he taught them. He said. Is it not written? Or did he say. Is it not written? I don't know. Is it not written? That my house. Will be called a house of prayer. For All nations. But you have made it into a den of robbers. Whoa. You you think he was a little upset? (laughs) You think there was a little righteous indignation? You, 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 You think he was a little irritated? Aggravated? Frustrated? It wasn't the first time. Remember Mark chapter three, on the Sabbath, Jesus went into synagogue, and there was a man with a withered hand. And the teachers and the scribes and the Pharisees were all there, just wondering, haha, are we gonna catch Jesus trying to work on the Sabbath by healing this man's arms? And and, and Jesus knew what they were thinking. He once again looked around in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Come on, guys. Really? Are you going to criticize me for healing someone's hand on the Sabbath? And remember when he first started his ministry and went into the temple? He went in with a whip to drive out the money changers. Have you ever wondered what the disciples were thinking? Well, there's a great psalm, Psalm 69.9, where it says, a Zeal for your house consumes me. Zeal for your house. Passion for your house. It, it's all consuming. And because of the passion, the zeal that Jesus had for his father's house, it was all consuming. And I ask today, and I wonder today, Have we lost the passion for God's house? Does passion consume us? Do we wake up on a Sunday morning? Do we go to bed on a Saturday night with this fire and this zeal and this passion that tomorrow we get to go to God's house? Or is it just a box we check off? Is it just another compartment in our complex lives? Is it just another obligation and responsibility? Have we lost the zeal and the passion that consumes us? Where there could be many other invitations on a Sunday to do something. But there's this zeal and there's this passion that consumes us. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going to be in God's house no matter what. Now let me go back for a moment to, to set the context God's temple was a meeting place for God's people where they were to bring sacrifices and their tithes, their offerings. And what I think is so cool in in God's word, specifically in the book of Deuteronomy, God allows for some exceptions. Like what if someone lives so far from the temple that it would be burdensome for there to bring in the first fruits, animals, sacrifices, carrying that long distance, and 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 what if someone was so prosperous that it was even possible to bring in the tithes of all their first fruits to, to the temple and present them to God? What's so cool is in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen, it it, it talks about. That in place of the first fruits, you, you could exchange it for silver, so you didn't have to travel with everything. So you could come to the God's house with silver, and you could buy an animal to be sacrificed. You could buy some first fruits that could be offered for the Lord. He there was this an allowance. This was an exception for people who lived a distance away. So in that temple court, there were places where you could buy animals, first fruits. It also tells us that in Exodus chapter 30, that there was a temple tax to pay. And you couldn't pay that temple tax with Greek or Roman money because there was an insignia. You couldn't couldn't offer that to to the Lord because there was an idol on that. And that had to be exchanged for temple money. And all that is is well and good so jesus made allowances in addition people could buy animals for sacrifices all that was acceptable so it was yes set up as a marketplace for people to buy to make offerings and sacrifices to the lord for those who lived a distance way away all that was well and good But I'll tell you what wasn't acceptable. The way they were going about it. I started to read and I was just appalled at what was taking place. Have you ever gone on a trip and you had to exchange your money for the currency of what place you were in? And I've been ripped off before with high exchange rates. I mean, it's just... You, you, you need some euros or you need some, I don't know, what's Spanish money? I forget. And, and you go and you give your, your English, your 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 money and you get exchanged and the rate is super high and, you know. Well, the people who were bringing in, exchanging your money for the temple, it was an, a ridiculous exchange rate. They were ripping the people off. But what got me the most is when I read from history that you could be in Jerusalem and buy a dove to be offered as a sacrifice. But when you got there, it had to be approved by the priest. And the priest would reject it because you didn't buy it from within. He was in cahoots with those selling the doves Now, you could buy a dove for a day's wage. Inside the temple, it would be a month's wage. You got it? And a lot of times, the priests were in cahoots with those selling because if the priests reject it, then they had to buy from their table making their rich. And those selling the doves would give to the priests a little extra For not accepting that which was brought from the outside. You see what was taking place? And that was not acceptable. Jesus had no tolerance. This was wrong. His father's house was to be a place of prayer. Not about money. And he did these three things. He overturned the table of the money changers. Now, if you've seen the Jesus film or The Greatest Story Ever Told, I, I haven't watched The Chosen. I'm sure there's a, a you know, uh, All you can picture is all these coins bouncing off the marble floor. floor. And then the Benches. Of those selling the doves, man. Along with the coins making the noise of hitting the floor. Then all of a sudden over here you see feathers flying all over the place. And then he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. The wood for the sacrifices. The animals that were to be sacrificed. And I read something I never thought before. But by him not allowing to carry any merchandise through the temple courts, he basically stopped sacrifices being made. And that's very significant because in a couple days, he was going to sacrifice his body to be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, where sacrifices would not have to take place anymore. And as a result... They began looking for a way to kill him. That's why he had to get out of town. He was disrupting the economics of the temple. Now, I read this, I read it, and I reread it, and then I finally got what it meant. As he taught them, as he taught them, he hasn't said a word up to this point that's recorded. As he taught them. How many know you don't have to speak words to teach somebody? (laughs) His actions taught. His visual illustrations taught. As he taught them without saying a word. You got it? Sometimes you just lead by example and you don't have to say a word. He said, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? And the answer is obvious. The answer is unsettling because how do you argue scripture? Yes, scripture says that my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. Listen, when you can back it up with Scripture, who can argue with you? First and foremost, this place is a place of prayer. But not only a place of prayer, it's a place for what? All nations, all people groups. And you have exploited. You have taken advantage. I am a global God. I have blessed you that you would be a blessing to others. And here you are taking advantage of people coming in and ripping them off. Wow. He quotes from Isaiah 56, 7. And then he quotes from Jeremiah 7 but you have made it a den of robbers. Man, no wonder Jesus was so worked up. No wonder there's this righteous indignation, this holy anger. Do you know it's okay to be angry, but don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. So this is what I thought of. As Jesus, on that Sunday night, went into that temple and closely looked around, if Jesus physically were to come in here and look around, would he see that we welcome all nations, all nationalities, all people groups. Are we like some of the priests who came to that place of refuge, who hid behind their sin and took advantage? Do Would he find people coming to church to hide from sin or would he find people confessing them? As he looked around, would he see people just going through religious rituals, spiritual aerobics, but without their heart engaged? Would he look around seeing people here just checking off the box? Or they're consumed, they have this passion which consumes them for the house of the Lord. I don't know. But then I took it one step further. Ouch. How Paul reminds us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Our body, who is in you, whom you receive from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. If if God were to closely look at the temple within What would he find? Would he find tables set up with habitual sins? Would he find tables of dishonesty and deceit? Would he find a table of critical attitudes? Critical spirits? Would he find a table of self-centeredness? Would he find a table of bitterness, jealousy, and anger? Would he find a table with idols set up upon it? Would he find a table of unforgiveness and resentment? Would he find a table that's divisive and, and full of discord? What, if he came into our temple, what would he have to Overturn. Many, many years ago in preparation for a spiritual emphasis week, it was Larry Gorin at a board meeting who actually found this. And today I call it a temple inventory. Last year we gave out little journals, thankfulness journals, Thanksgiving journals, and we asked every day to write something that you were thankful for. This year, I'm going to hand out temple inventory questions and i'm telling you man they're not easy let me ask if god's house is to be a house of prayer how would you rate how would you rate your prayer life on a scale from 1 to 10 10 being the highest 1 being the lowest how would you rate your prayer life now Those who give yourself a 3 and a 4, I'm not asking you by tomorrow to raise it to 10. Those who are 3 or 4, all we're asking, take it up one notch. Make a 4, make it a 5. A 3, make it a 4. If you're at an 8, make it a 9. If anybody's a 10, God bless you because there's always room for improvements. How do we take it up a notch? By taking this temple inventory questionnaire and you can't do this in one day if you do this in one day you're not doing it right but each day you take one or two forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one for if you forgive men their sins against you your heavenly father will forgive you of also and then there's questions you ask Is there anyone against whom I am holding a grudge? And usually your immediate answer is no. But deep down inside, I'm sure that many of us have some hard feelings towards others. Is there anyone you haven't forgiven? Anyone you hate? Anyone you do not love? Are there any misunderstandings that you are unwilling to forget? Is there any person against you whom you harbor bitterness, resentment, jealousy? Now you don't want to take it. but, But if we could just take this home and in preparation for our spiritual emphasis week, if we could just do a temple inventory of our own life. Take one or two each day and go through it. Because maybe there are some tables that the Lord needs to overthrow in all of our life. That keeps us from flourishing like a palm tree or a cedar from Lebanon. Hey, if you've been joining us online, thank you, man. Thank you for watching today. And if you want one of these inventory lists, we can put it online. All you have to do is make a comment and, and, and we can get it to you. But on your way out, all of you, make sure the ushers are there and take one. And do temple inventory. Hey, welcome home. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I know that a message like this can bring guilt and conviction, but if that guilt and conviction is turned into something positive where changes are made. And God, I've always said that before a sermon is preached, it has to be preached to self first. And God, you know how this message has pierced my heart. That Lord, honestly, I want nothing but you. Nothing but you, Lord. And Lord, I pray over this month that there will be those who go from languishing. And floundering to flourishing with the resistance of a palm tree and the durability of a cedar. I'm gonna ask our associate pastor, Pastor.